Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there any one of you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asked for an egg, will you give a scorpion? If you then, who are bad, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? For the Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. We call this the Lord's Prayer. And we pray it here at least once a month when we sing together, uh, when we, we share together in uh, communion on the first Sunday of the month. Because oh, we don't use this verse, version, we use the version in Matthew, which is longer. This is the, the, um, the Luke version and it's Probably the original. Most scholars think that the bits in Matthew and the other bits that we say that aren't quite in Matthew have been added um, uh, in the by the early church. It doesn't make them wrong. It just makes an addition to this prayer. But most scholars think this is the version that Jesus must have taught his disciples. And it's great, except that we never want to focus in this story on the second bit of the reading. And that's the bit that says, So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who searches finds. And everyone, for everyone who knocks the door will be opened. We, the reason we don't want to read that bit, because we don't know what to do with it, is because it's not true, is it? People ask all the time and stuff doesn't happen. Sure, you can do stupid things. You can ask for a parking space when you're in a rush on the way to a meeting and I've heard people do that kind of thing but you can ask for serious things you can be like two young boys I knew many many years ago who had lost their father to an accident and their mother was diagnosed with cancer 
She was stage four. They were young in primary school. And they prayed fervently that their mother would be healed. And if you know what happens at stage four cancer, there's very little chance. He might have remission, but there's very little chance of it ever going away. And it didn't. And she died leaving two primary school age boys. So it's not true that everyone who asks receives and everyone who knocks, because these boys knocked and knocked and knocked. We know this is not true. We can pray for all kinds of things, and we do. We will pray here again today for great world events. And it doesn't seem to make any difference. Maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe this idea, because the problem with, with if, if, it, if the thing that you pray for doesn't happen, what's the problem? We don't want to believe that God can't do it. We don't really want to believe that God doesn't want to do it. So we kind of end up feeling there's something wrong with us. We didn't pray hard enough. We didn't live well enough. Or we didn't pray long enough. We're left in the sense of, I, I can't believe it. it says this will happen and it isn't happening. What's wrong? I'm going to have a look at it this way. The first thing we hear about is a disciple saying to Jesus, teach us to pray. Which is a strange thing if prayer is about asking. You never need to teach anybody to ask for things. If any of you have had children or you remember being a child yourself, you never need to ask a child, teach a child how to ask. They've got that down pat. They know how to do it. And they'll drive you nuts asking for things. So teach us to pray. If prayer is about asking for something, it seems weird that you would need to teach anybody. So what if prayer, as Jesus talks about it, has got nothing to do with this? What if the disciples had this inkling that whatever Jesus was doing was something they were going to need to learn how to do, something they were going to need to be brought into? Because it wasn't as simple as just saying, I need this, I would wish that could happen, I need this to, to happen. This whole passage, ask and it shall be given and search and you will find, it, it comes after this really strange story about a persistent neighbour. One way we can read this story is by understanding it as the story of the way the world should be. In the near Middle East, hospitality is the greatest virtue. So it would not be unco uh, uh, uncommon, nor out of character at all, for someone who needed to provide hospitality for a friend who's coming, who isn't, um, doesn't have the resources that at the time they're caught short, to go to another friend in the village and ask for uh, some bread, because that's the way everything worked. Because next time it'll be that guy who's in bed who needs to ask this person for bread, because that's the harmonious way the world worked. That's how people in this period of time just understood the whole world. It couldn't be, couldn't work any other way. So maybe this is a story about the harmony of the world, the system of the world that will work, that will develop, the system of the world that will operate even if the people in it aren't very good at it. James Lovelock turned um, 100 this week. He's the instigator of the idea of the Gaia um, uh, Philosophy, The understanding that from his point of view, and it's disputed by some um, earth scientists, but his point of view is that the earth is actually one whole organism and it can look after itself and it has uh, regulated its life to fit 
um, and to keep growing, keep sustaining life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that those of us who are creating the issues around climate change are going to survive the earth regulating itself. Um, there's lots of people, um, Bill McKibben um, uh, primarily been saying this in his last couple of books, that um, we could well um, be, go completely extinct on the planet because we can't adapt fast enough for the change in the environment. But the earth itself will re-regulate itself. It's done it many times from a scorching ball of, of, of um, molten mass to the planet we have now, and it's done that all the time. There's a wonderful book at the moment out called um, by Alan Wiseman called The World Without Us. And it's, um, it's looking at what will happen based on what we know about towns that we've had to leave for drought or for all kinds of other reasons. Um, he looks at the town of Chernobyl um, and, and it says this is what happens and how quickly the earth regenerates itself if we're not there to mess it up. And he just talks about the earth managing to recreate itself because the energy of the earth is so strong. And if, if Lovelock is correct, the, um, the impetus of Gaia, which is what he called this um, desire, this, this ability for the earth to, to regenerate itself, that will keep on going because there's something strong in the way the earth is. So I wonder why we could read this little story as the earth actually is an ongoing um, organism. And it will, it, it's got deep internal mechanisms that will regenerate itself. This is the way the world will be. And what if to ask is to not ask for certain things, but to ask to be, in a sense, to experience the rhythm of the earth and the universe and the world as it is. And that if you ask, it will be given to you. And that if you search for the experience of the earth as a, as a true entity, as an energy, as a holistic thing, you'll find it. And if you knock on the door of understanding of the strength of creation, it will be open to you. And maybe that helps us to understand our humble role in the world. And we may rethink the way we use our technology so that we find ourselves a part of the world rather than a pariah on the planet. And then he goes on and says, if any one of you and you had your child ask for a fish, would you give a snake instead of a fish? Or if they ask for an egg, would you give a scorpion? In other words, would you meter out death or life? Because the snake, obviously, and the scorpion are dangerous and about death. Would you give life or would you give death? Well, obviously, we don't need to answer that question out aloud. We would give life. Nobody, nobody in their right mind, no true human being, even if it's not their own child. Would, would, would give a child death instead of life. And Jesus said, look, if you who are bad know how to do good things, how much more will God do? Now, Jesus says later in Luke that when somebody says to him, uh, speaks to Jesus and says, good teacher, Jesus responds back, no, there's only one good in the world and that's God. So I think here, um, God is, uh, Jesus is not sort of condemning everybody in the world to being bad. But in a sense of, of, of the opposite of who God is. But God is the goodness in the world. God is the goodness that makes the world as it is. No one is good but God alone, he says later in Luke. So if you who are not good know how to do good, how much more will God do that? There's a sense that there's always going to be good and bad in the world. And we know what is good. And we know the damage it does when good doesn't happen. 
Whether it's a tiny little thing when you're in school and one person gets treated differently to the others, either as a teacher's pet or somehow gets picked on by the teacher. That's not fair. We, we, we have a, an innate, innate sense of fairness within us. We know what is good and what is bad. Which is why some of us struggle when we read the news because the news tends to focus on bad things that happen in the world. And if you read it all the time and you don't um, balance it with other reading, you can get to the point where you consider the world to be a terrible place where nothing ever goes right and no one can be trusted. Um, there are certainly television stations in our country that seem to tell that story so much and, and I, I meet people all the time who that's all they watch or read and that's their view of the world that nobody can be trusted. Everybody's out to get you. And sure, there is a lot of that in the world. But you have to balance that out. What if it is that God wants to give good, but the good God talks about, or that Jesus talks about here, is Jesus says at the end of the reading, God will give a good, will give the... Well, actually, it doesn't say the, it says a Holy Spirit. Which is not kind of what we expect at the end of this reading. And in fact, Matthew didn't like it at all, so he altered it. If you look at the Matthew version of this story, he's altered it. But in Luke's version, Jesus says, God will give you the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, a Holy Spirit. And the spirit is the spirit of truth. So what if teachers to pray, the first question the disciple asks is, help us to be in tune with the truth of the world with the way the world truly is as God sees it, which of course is full of terrible things and full of glorious things, full of people who live depraved and full of people who live upright, full human lives, sometimes the same people, because we're all a mix. And then you get it if you go back to the little prayer we've got, it can read a little bit differently. So when Jesus teaches about prayer, he says, say these things, Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, tell the truth about God. That God is the intimate one, holy, Father. Father is the, the term that Jesus uses over and over again as an understanding of who God is intimately to us, but also the Holy One, the kind of set apart, holy just means set apart, a kind of put out there to be able to be seen as a whole. You, you identify something slightly different from everything else and you set it apart and then you can actually begin to see the truth of it. So tell the truth about God. God is intimate and God is set apart. God is the ultimate everything that is the universe. And then he says, say, your kingdom come. In other words, make the world whole. See the world as one whole entity, loved beyond belief by God. That God is the one who makes the world whole, who brings the, the wholeness of everything together. It's beginning to see the world the way God sees everything. And then there's just a list of things. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not bring us into the time of trial. I think one way of reading this is to say what 
Jesus is telling us to do is to tell the truth, not just about God, but about ourselves. These are the things we want. We really don't want to be without what we need. We really do want our daily bread every day. We really do want to be forgiven for all the rubbish that we do day in and day out. We don't want to drag it around with us. And we want to be able to do that for others. We want to be generous and open-hearted in our forgiveness of others as they drag their rubbish around with them. And we don't want to be in the time of trial. These are the things we want. This is, the who, this is what preoccupies us. And I reckon one of the things that this story is telling us is be honest about that. Whether or not it happens is kind of the second thing. But let's be honest. Let's, be, let's tell the truth about God to God. Let's tell the truth about ourselves to God, but also to ourselves. Not to live a kind of counterfeit life. Not to tell ourselves that we're better than we are or that we're worse than we are. Not to tell ourselves the lie about how we should live or the fantasy of what our life is, but to have the honest truth about ourselves told. The truth that we know about ourselves two o'clock in the morning when we can't sleep and we start to think about those things that we haven't done that we should have done and all those silly things that we've done that we shouldn't have. All the missed opportunities that we've had in our life. All the times when we could have gone to the left and we went to the right and things all went a different way and we don't know whether that was the right thing or the wrong thing. Those middle of the night things, that's what prayer is about, is telling that truth out aloud into the world. And I think when we do that, we somehow become, be, begin to be a part of the way God sees the world as a whole, as a broken and glorious place, as a place perfectly fitted for broken and glorious people like us. That we just tell the truth out aloud. And out aloud is a good part of it. The Jews never prayed silently. Uh, in, in the Jewish life, you, there were two stances for prayer. One was lying flat on the ground, face down, and the other one was standing with your arms raised in the air, but always praying out aloud. It's not a lot of room for us to be lying on the ground, although the carpet's quite, quite soft here. But you know, it was a, it, it, for the Jews, it wasn't an internal thing, it was, a, it was a whole of life thing, which is why you used your body. And lots of prayer practices invite us to do that. The labyrinth is one that's been used for centuries. Um, all kinds of walking meditations and other things where you, you use all of your body because it's a whole of life experience to tell the truth about God, to tell the truth about ourselves, and to live truly, and to bit by bit, to come in congruence with God's understanding of the world and to live in harmony with it and to live at peace with it and to live at home with it, which is what we long for. Okay, it might not be all you could say about this prayer. You might not even like what I've said. I'm trying to find a way into it that doesn't leave me saying, but it says, all I've got to do is ask and I'll receive. I do only have to ask and what I'll receive is a Holy Spirit, a set-apart, an understanding spirit where I begin to feel in harmony with the world, where I begin to be one with God, where I begin to be what God always said right at the beginning, let's make people like us in our image, to be like God. So be it.